So, with that being said, let me introduce Pastor Joel King here. Uh, let me introduce him before he comes up. Uh, Pastor Joel is very special to our church. Uh, he is the pastor of Trinity Church in Sunnyvale. And if that name is familiar to you, it should be because they have been incredible support to our church uh, for, for years now, since we've been here in the Sunnyvale area. If you don't know, we park our truck and trailer there in their parking lot for $5 a month. That is a tremendous friends rate. Uh, we have our Tuesday night prayer meeting there as well. So if you come out to prayer meeting, and we hope you will, every Tuesday night, 7 to 9 o'clock, it's at Trinity Church. We've held multiple events there. We've also done stuff together. The Good Friday service was joined with them, as well as Revive Presbyterian Church. So they have been such a friend to Renewal Church. I also have been meeting regularly with Joel and a couple other pastors just for fellowship, also hosted at Trinity. So they've been such a wonderful support to Renewal. So I'm very, very excited to have him here speaking. Uh, let me give you a little bit of, of background about him because his background is really, really interesting. He's born in Casper, Wyoming. Anybody else here from Casper, Wyoming? That's what I thought. Casper, Wyoming. And uh, he was raised in a Christian home. Now, his father was raised in an Orthodox Jewish home. Okay, it's very interesting. Uh, but his father became a Christian, a follower of Jesus, through the Christian Businessmen's Association. Uh, Joel also uh, devoted his life to ministry at the age of 11. So he knew he wanted to go into ministry very early. He attended Biola University. Uh, back in the 80s, but then he graduated from Cal State Fullerton with a major in sociology and a minor in women's studies. He has worked in a home for teens recovering from drug and alcohol addiction in Gilroy. He's married to his best friend, Lynn, who some of you may know through you know working with Trinity as well. They have four adopted children, Brittany, Jesse, Haley, and Troy. And they have one granddaughter, Elena. Um, he's worn many hats in his 20 years of ministry, including being a custodian. He's overseen children's ministry, family ministry, small groups, discipleship ministries, and he's been the lead pastor of Trinity since 2011, so 11 years now. And let me give you just a couple of brief facts, interesting facts about him before he comes up. Did you know Joel was a country music disc jockey for five years. That's right, so if you like country music, which I know you all do, you can go and chew the fat with Joel. And also, one other one, there's many, but one other one is when he, he played high school football, and once he got a penalty for praying in the end zone. 15 yards, 15 yards they assessed him. So his, his faith was, was, was obviously blooming and growing even during his teen years. So we're really excited. Pastor Joel is gonna be talking to us about, about missions right here in our backyard as well because Trinity Church, we've learned so much from them. We've learned about the food pantry ministry through them. Uh, they, they're an incredible example of this. And uh, I've asked him to come and talk about how missions is not just all the way out there, but also right here in our backyard too. So can we welcome Pastor Joel up right now? I want to jump right in and I'm going to start, if you would, with a modern day uh, parable. Um, this happens, happened 
somewhere in Afghanistan. As he lay there on the ground in more pain than he had ever been in before, Jake couldn't help but scold himself. He knew better than to wander off the beaten path. How could he have been so stupid? He was in the middle of enemy territory and he couldn't feel his legs. There was no backup, no one to rescue him from this mess. Why did he have to try to take a shortcut? Why did he have to step on that particular spot? Now lucky for him, the landmine was old and it malfunctioned. If he could just get someone on the radio, maybe, just maybe, he could get out of this situation. Does anyone copy? This is Blue Dog. Does anyone hear me? Still, nothing. He was hoping his unit would still be in range. He had hoped that they would miss him by now. But deep down he knew they wouldn't. His orders were clear. Hang back six clicks and make sure nobody was following. Wait an hour and then follow the clear road to catch up with his unit. Of course, he was going to impress his commanding officer by showing up 20 minutes earlier, time saved by a shortcut. Now, he probably wouldn't show up at all. Blue Dog, this is Blue Eagle, do you copy? The voice of the radio initiative gave his heart a shock, but there was pure joy. This is Blue Dog, I copy, he responded. What is your ETA, Blue Dog, the voice on the other end said. Well, there was no use beating around the bush. He was in trouble. Change of plans, Blue Eagle. This dog won't hunt. I need evac, stat. What's your position, Blue Dog? Now, where they wasn't where he should be, for sure. Four clicks back on route, and then half a click south. Copy, Blue Dog, stand by, like he had much of a choice. The explosion must have been heard miles away. The enemy could arrive at any second. <sighs> Blue Dog, the eagle won't fly. It's too hot. We're looking for alternative. Stand by. Couldn't believe his ears. The Black Hawk helicopters had been grounded. There would be no immediate U.S. rescue. They were saying it was too dangerous but he knew the politics. They lost too many helicopters in these narrow streets, and they weren't going to risk another one. This was his best chance. What now? Blue Dog, we have just received word there is a UN convoy one click just south of you. We're arranging a joint mission. Yes, a miracle. The helicopters were his best and seemingly only chance. He knew his unit was on their way even now. But by the time they got there, most likely the enemy would have finished him off. The UN's presence was unexpected. They preferred to stay away from the action. This was his lucky day. And then, Blue Dog, you just received word. There is no UN convoy. Oh, he couldn't believe this. Sorry, son. They're playing politics. Don't worry. Blue Squadron's en route. Hang in there, Blue Dog. We'll keep you posted. The UN bought. He wasn't surprised. They didn't like to get involved in anything below a fist fight. 
The plane was almost unbearable. And now this. His friends were coming, but would it be too late? His heart skipped a beat. There was movement behind him. Was it a dog? Could his buddies be here, or was it? The person hovered over him. As he looked up, he couldn't make out the features because of the blazing sun directly above. However, it didn't matter. This guy was not a friendly. The Russian-made Kaloshikov AK-47 assault rifle was a dead giveaway. The Taliban, or perhaps worse, Al-Qaeda, had found him. His life was forfeit, or perhaps worse. The man muttered a few words in a Middle Eastern language he didn't understand, and then he positioned himself in front of him. He checked his wounds. Each poke and prod felt like a hundred needles sticking in him at once. Then the man grabbed him by the collar of his fatigues and hoisted him up, but the pain was too great and fainted. Now he had hoped that he would never wake again. In a situation like this, there were things a lot worse than death. His wounds had been bandaged and he was laying on a makeshift hospital. The room had no windows. It had one door which was sure to be locked. He couldn't move anyway. His legs were still numb. He lay there in silence wondering why God had dealt him such a raw deal. Suddenly the door opened and he pleaded for God to have mercy on him. This was the second man. He was also Middle Eastern, but definitely thinner and taller than the first man. He quietly wondered what horrors this man had in store for him. And then the man spoke. I see you've awoken. Do you feel hungry? Is this man just toying with him? Where am I? What are you going to do to me? The man smiled. I'm not going to do anything to you, young man. I've already removed most of the shrapnel and bandaged your wounds. I think that is enough. As far as where you are, you were in the home of Muhammad Fahad. He brought you here two days ago and asked me care for you. Muhammad Fahad? He's not here right now. He's gone out tonight to see if he can safely bring some of your members of the military here to retrieve you. Don't worry. This is his hometown, and I'm sure he'll be able to manage. You just rest, and I'll get you some soup. Before Jake could utter another word, the man was gone. How could this be? The U.S. military wouldn't fly in and help him out. The U.N. refused to help him out. And yet, this Muslim risked his own life and home to help him. It was truly unbelievable. And as Jake slowly fell back into a deep sleep, he couldn't help but think how needless this war would be if everyone was like Muhammad Fahad. Now, as Ulysses mentioned, uh, y'all are in a series. Sorry, the y'all is the country boy. Y'all are in a series uh, focused on mission. Somebody was saying the mission impossible. And this is part of the call of, of our Savior, of our Lord to us. 
When he called the disciples, he said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So follow me is that that's an invitation that most of us have made to follow him as Lord and Savior. But then he says, I will make you. In other words, it's his job to do the transformation. We can't do it ourselves. Our, our decision is to follow. Our decision is to put our life in his hands. But he does the transformation. But, but what does he transform us into? Come, follow me, and I will make you what? Fishers of men. See, Jesus invites you and I to join his mission. He came here for a purpose, to be a light in the darkness, to be salt to the earth, to bring hope to the hopeless, healing to the sick. And he invites you and me to do the same. And so within that overall mission, joining Jesus on his mission, we're focused today on our sphere of influence, you and me. That, that first, you know, remember what he told him? He gave him the strategy. Where the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. And by the way, he doesn't say the Holy Spirit's going to come on you so you'll be happy. He doesn't say the Holy Spirit will come upon you so you can have a good time in church. Though hopefully you will. He says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Why? So you can be my witnesses. That's why you need all that power. That's what the American dream. So that you can be my witnesses. To what? Jerusalem, their home, Judea, and then the other most parts of the earth. Today we're going to talk about our Jerusalem. Right here in the good old Bay Area. We're going to talk about what it means to be a good neighbor. A good neighbor. And we're going to use this story that Jesus told of the Good Samaritan. Now this story begins in Luke chapter 10. Of course, we put in chapters and verses uh, to find our way around, and Luke just wrote a letter. But uh, we call it chapter 10, starting in verse 25. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law. Now, the law he's talking about is someone who's an expert in the Hebrew scriptures. All of, all of Jewish life is expressed in um, what in Jesus' time was called the law and the prophets. The law is the first five books, it's known as the Torah, and then the, the rest actually is known as prophetic, the law and the prophets. And this guy was an expert in that, especially those first five books that tell the Jewish people how to live. And so an expert in the law stood up to test, notice he's testing Jesus. Is this guy worth listening to? Is this guy worth following? He says, teacher or rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now that is an important question. That's huge. That's fundamental. That's a question that all of us should be asking. What must I do to inherit, to, re to receive the benefit of living with God in all eternity and not to be cast out in utter darkness? A meaningful life. Jesus replies, what is written in the law? How do you read it? You're an expert. As you read the Hebrew scriptures, I'm sorry, often refer to the Old Testament, as the Hebrew scriptures, um, because A, it was the scriptures that Jesus taught, B, it was written mostly in Hebrew, and C, in our day and age, when we call something old, we mean it's not useful any longer. I figure it was useful to Jesus, probably useful to us. So he asked Jesus, and Jesus asked him, well, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's not a New Testament idea. That is a Hebrew scripture, an Old Testament idea. 
Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. If you just do that, you'll have the eternal life that you so desire. But he doesn't leave it there. See, somewhere down deep, he knows there's more. He knows there's, there's, there's more than just okay. So what, is it, what does it say there? It says, but he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to feel good about the way he interpreted these verses, basically. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And then Jesus responds to this question by telling the, the story of the Good Samaritan, much like the modern parable that I patterned it after. The, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other a lot like those in the U.S. and the Muslim world might be considered to hate each other. Especially when you're talking about Al-Qaeda and the Taliban and whatnot. That was the context for them. Just the way that story jarred you and I, it jarred them. But I also want you to notice another thing. First of all, the man um, wants to justify himself. And so he asked, who is my neighbor? In other words, what he's saying is, you know what? I've got some example where I've loved some folks. You know, when we sit around in our Christian circles and our Bible studies, we all have a story somewhere where we did the right thing. And that's that kind of our go-to story. Right? It makes us feel good about it. And by the way, churches, we do that as the same thing as a church. We have a program. Say, hey, we started this program. The program maybe doesn't serve at all the people it's supposed to serve. But there's that one story we keep telling ourselves. Remember when so-and-so, now granted it was 10 years ago. Nobody's done it since. But so-and-so came and they experienced this. And now they're following Jesus. And we make ourselves feel better. That's what he's looking for. Jesus, I, have to, I know I have a few things in my life where I've been doing this. Tell me I'm all right. The interesting thing is Jesus doesn't even answer his question. See, he asks, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells him how to be a neighbor. Interesting enough, can I just full disclosure, especially if you're, if you're thinking about following Jesus, you haven't made that decision. Full disclosure, when you start following God, a lot of times you're going to ask him a question. He's just going to give you an answer. It has nothing to do with your question. Because following Jesus is about him being Lord, him laying out the path, not you, not me. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He, he tells the story about how to be a neighbor. And then when he's done, picking up in verse 36 of Luke 10, Jesus says to him, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? I just told you a story. You heard this story. This guy has this unit. He has the UN. In the, in the story of the Samaritan, there's a Levite, there's a priest. And then this Samaritan comes along. This Muslim comes along. Who do you think was a neighbor? Not the who, the how. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus, it'd be great if Jesus just left it there, but he doesn't. He says, well, then you go and do likewise. Good answer, but the answer is not enough. See, Jesus isn't interested in your Bible trivia stuff. He's not interested in how much I know. Jesus is even interested in how good of a preacher I am and whether or not I understand his word. What he's interested in 
do I go and do likewise? Am I like Muhammad Fahad? That's what he's interested in here. And you'll notice that the Good Samaritan, Muhammad Fahad, both had a heart attitude of compassion, but he also had the action of mercy. And so I just want to, I just want to highlight some things that come right out of this, this story of what compassion and mercy, if this is the go and do likewise, what is it that you and I are supposed to do? Because I don't know about you, but I cast absolutely no Jewish beating up people on the way here this morning. Matter of fact, I, I, that doesn't happen. I'm sure there might be some neighborhoods and whatnot, probably not a lot of Jewish people, but a lot of the neighborhoods where maybe you might come across somebody, but most of us live lives, this is not reality. So I don't think Jesus said only in this one particular instance. So we got to look at the story and say, what is, he what is he doing? So here it is. This is what I believe compassion and mercy look like. First of all, it take, he takes the time. He takes the time. And by the way, if there's anything, especially in the Bay Area, where we sin, sin, is that our time is so packed, we don't take the time for people. We're too busy trying to get point A to point B. Why? So we can catch up on our series that we've been missing. Right? Or the people who drive around the, the parking lot three times to get a close spot to go into the gym and work out. Guilty? I've done that. He takes the time. He stopped. You see, the priest and the Levite, this is the shocking thing. It, it, it would be like Ulysses and I were the first ones by. We passed by. It's like last week's story. The, the king and the nobleman and those folks who had heard Elisha, they, uh, they should know, but they didn't. It was the leopards that God used. It was folks like you. That's why God makes us uh, pastors the equippers of those who do ministry. You are the ministers. Not me. Not Ulysses. You are the ministers. But you need to take the time. And then, not only does he take the time, but he gets personally involved. He gets down on the ground. He bandages his wounds. He uses his own oil and wine. He gets personally involved. He doesn't just take notice. He doesn't just say, you know, stop and go, oh, man, that must have been rough. Right? Who can I call for you? Let somebody else do it. What expert? That's one of the broken things about our society is that we don't stop from one another. Why? We assume they have a cell phone and there's lots of people to take care of needs. I don't have to. I'll take care of your needs. I'm sure the church has got a program for that. I'll email the pastor. Maybe they can take care of that. He gets personally involved. He makes a personal sacrifice. He walks while the guy rides on the donkey. He gives him a ride. Again, he uses his own, his own oil out of his own stock of wine. He pays the cost. He pays the innkeeper out of his own pocket. He doesn't know this guy. You think he did enough? He stopped. He banished him up. But no, it comes out of his own pocket. He pays the cost. And then he tells the guy, hey, if for whatever reason this doesn't cover, I'm going to come back. And I'm going to check in, in on him. And if there's anything left over, I'll take care of it. In other words, he's engaged for the long haul. That's what mercy looks like. When you, it's great to have the theology. I should love like Jesus loved. I should love my neighbor as myself. Yada, yada, yada. Good for you. But do you have mercy? In other words, do you put those words to action? 
And not for your family, not for your friends, not for your church, but for your enemies, for your community, for your neighbors, for your coworkers, for those who go to school with you, whatever sphere of influence you're in. Do you do that? Because like you, I want to justify myself as well. I have a whole list that I can tell you of how I live this thing. The problem is, you're not going to be my internal judge. Jesus is. That's, that's part of the Apostles' Creed we just recited. Jesus went from, I'm laying my life down for you, I'll take you just as you are, to remind us. But in the end, I will be your judge. And guess what the ruler he's going to bring out? Himself. Now, by the way, we've all failed at him. That's why Jesus had to come. He, he's the only one that meets that rule. But he will ask, he will ask each of us, for what I gave you, what did you do with it? That comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you want to look up that idea. What do you think the impact was on the one who fell among the thieves? What do you think the impact it was on the soldier? He was shocked. It made him rethink every bias he ever had. It made him wonder about who this Muhammad Fahad was. Especially in contrast to those who were supposed to be for him. Let me uh, share you a country story. I'm sorry, those, those are my illustrations. I think you'll still get this one because it's about a city girl. And this is, uh, my wife is from Oklahoma. Of course, you know I'm from Wyoming. This is an Oklahoma uh, story. Uh, we got this note from uh, uh, one of my bride's relatives, and she says this. She says, I met a lady today who has lived a lot of places. She's quite educated, and so is her husband. Typical Bay Area folks, you could say. Uh, he used to fly fighter planes, and they moved to western Oklahoma because the federal government wanted him to come and hunt feral pigs from the air. Uh, anyhow, it's a different world, all right? And I was asking her of all the places they've lived, where she would choose to move if they were retiring. And she said, hands down, Oklahoma. Of all the places they lived. And I asked her why. And she told me of one of her first experiences with one of her new rural Oklahoma neighbors. This is why of all your places they could live, and they've been all over the country, they would move into the flyover state of Oklahoma. She said she was out working in her yard one day and her neighbor from a fourth of a mile away, it's probably by the way her closest neighbor, came and hollered at her over the fence. And her neighbor said, hey, I heard your daughter has turtles. Is that true? Now, she didn't know whether to be offended that her neighbor was being nosy and that does happen in small rural communities. But she admitted that yes, they had turtles. The neighbor proceeded to hand her a paper bag saying, here, your turtles will love these. The neighbor left, and then she glanced in the bag, and it was filled with big, fat, green caterpillars. Tomato worms, what they call them. Now, she said she didn't know at first if it was a joke or if she should be offended. But... She tried feeding one to her turtles, and she discovered it was true. It was like candy to them. They loved them. She said that that was just one example of neighborliness that she had never experienced anywhere else. And it stuck out to her. 
It was something that she wanted to be a part of. And see, that is the vision for Christ Church, especially in the Bay Area, all over, especially the Western world. People are disconnected. We have everything we've ever wanted, plus, by the way, more. Because as soon as we get what we want, we have to wait for version 2.0 to come out, and then 3.0 to come out, and 4.0, because we're not happy with the thing that used to make us happy. But we are the loneliest, most disconnected people on the planet. Over and over again, studies are showing that. And then you get to the Bay Area, where there's all this glut, all this wonderful stuff. And there's mental health issues. I don't have to tell you, no. If there's any place where, where someone's like, man, I just want to be included. I want to be loved. I want, I, want, I want to have those big, fat, green caterpillar moments. It's the Bay Area. And see, we're used to, in the Bay Area, we're used to, in our, in our, our, our lives, you know, either A, folks like the robbers that just take advantage of others, being around people just take advantage and just trying to move their way up the ladder, or B, probably more likely, folks like the, the, uh, the Levite and the priest who came by, or the UN, the black helicopters in my story, too. We just avoid, people just avoid others because they, they, they don't bring me benefit. You don't bring me benefit. I'll be friends with you if you're like in my work group or, you know, I want you to cut down your tree because it's over my, you know, you know, I'll try to angle whatever I need to angle. But quite frankly, I have other things to do, other shows to watch, other places to be with my own family to worry about. You take care of you and I'll take care of me. Kind of thing. But what we really desire is somebody like the Good Samaritan, somebody who has compassion and acts with mercy and helps their fellow human beings. That is refreshing. That's what people desire. Now, if you went around asking people, you know, are, are you, do you want a big fat green caterpillar? They look at you like you're weird, and you, by the way, you are, compared to the world. But usually you have to step out in something weird like that, in, in some loving way, and just, just, I mean, you want to freak somebody out? The next time you're walking around uh, your home, or you're out about, even in the office, and you see somebody, you know, who needs help, stop and ask if you can help them. Say, oh, I would, I would love to help you take down the tree. I can, can you help them remember that wood? They'll look at you like you're a stranger. Because this idea is just so foreign. In some places in the world, it's not. But in, in, the, in the world that we live in, it, it, it is. It's for, especially for people you don't know. Especially for strangers who don't bring you any benefit. And see, we have this advantage that they did. See, we know the end of the story. We know what Jesus did. Right? We're supposed to follow Jesus. Well, guess what? Jesus personally got involved. He personally blesses us by leaving the throne of heaven. Talk about going out of your way. He's sitting on the throne of heaven, Lord and creator of all. And he takes on the flesh of those that he made. Obviously, he did a great personal sacrifice and he, as he lived among us. He had never felt pain. He had never been abandoned. There had never been any separation from the Father, none of that. But he sacrificed that for you and I. He was willing to pay the cost which took him to the cross. Which wasn't just a physical pain, but it was, it was separation from the Father. Again, something you never experienced ever again, nor did he deserve. 
And because of this, we know he's committed to us for the long haul. If God, it says, the Bible says, if he didn't spare his own son, what, what, what would he hold back now? And he did this because he loves us and he was fully committed to bring glory to the Father. See, last week, Ulysses challenged from out of 2 Kings chapter 7. He says, this is the day for good news. Now, he also talked about there being 10 cents gas. That didn't happen. I'm a little disappointed. But, um, but, he, but in, the, in the passage, you know, those, those lepers, those people that everybody else rejected, by the way, are God's favorite people, you and I. If you're in this room and you follow Jesus, that's not a compliment. Because he, he really likes to take the rejects. He likes to take the people. He does. It's just, it's just, that's why when Jesus called the disciples, it was so radical because they weren't following some of them. They were the rejects. So when he finally says, follow me, it was such a huge compliment. You bet they dropped their nets. You bet they left their thing. Because Jesus was kind of saying, even though you're a flunky, even though you're a failure, you're good enough for me. And so he wants us to spread this good news. He wants us to join his, uh, his, his mission. And so he says, go and do likewise to you and I. What's the likewise? To do what Jesus did. So here is what it's called. And it's not just a call for renewal. It's not just a call for Trinity Church. It's the call for the universal church. Everywhere. Anyone who follows Jesus, is transformed by Jesus, should join Jesus on his mission. Period. End of story. And if that's not the end result, then you've got to go back to step one. You're not following Jesus. There is no way to be a follower of Jesus and not join him on his mission because that's what Jesus does. Period. Read your Bible. Don't get mad at me. You get mad at me. But don't get mad at me. It's in the Bible. We want to be a countercultural neighbors. In other words, we do have a different set of values. Yes, absolutely. We are not of this world. We should stick out. They should say those crazy Christians. Absolutely, positively. If we blend in, we're doing something wrong. God's people have blended in. Never, ever was a good thing. Ever. We should stick out like a sore thumb. But in the midst of this, what should be different about us is that we take the time to be a good neighbor to everyone, not just our own. Good neighbors who get personally involved with blessing others. This means we have active eyes. You know what active eyes are? Active eyes were like, imagine if God came to you before your day began and said, your name, in my case, Joey. It's the personal nature between God and I. Joey, today, a special appointment for you. I want you to be aware and I want you to that ministry when it comes up. You think I might live that day differently? Absolutely. What am I going to have? I'm going to have what I'm calling active eyes. Where do I need to get personally involved? Where's this opportunity to bless others? Here's the thing. God has something like that for us every single day. If we're around others, we just have to, have, the reason we miss it is because we don't have active eyes. I believe, this is my personal conviction, that half of judgment, half of the time we sit before God, it's not what we, it's not the sin that we committed as in we did something bad. It's all the sin that I committed, not having active eyes, skipping over the opportunities I had because I was too busy with my agenda. Looking out for myself, looking out for my family, looking out for my health, my wellness, my church even. There could be a bunch of spiritual stuff. I'm going to get slapped upside the head on because God's like, I have this other thing for you. 
have a Samaritan for you. You're so busy trying to get to church. Why don't you stop this? Then you would have had something living to bring your people. Rather than your own opinion on what my scripture says. Something that's truly life is you have active eyes. We get personally involved with blessing others at great personal sacrifice. And the very, quite frankly, it's not your checkbook, it's your time. It's taking the time. When you have active eyes, when you see something, it's taking, seeing your neighbor, learning about your neighbor, your coworker, the people at the, whatever thing your kids might be involved in, seeing them and spending time going out of your way, interacting, a great personal sacrifice. Not just when you have time, but in the Lord's time. But by the way, he will call you when you don't have time. He won't wait. It's not like God's up there going, okay. I see you can fit me in at Wednesday at 9 a.m. I will schedule something for you then. No, because you know what? That, that makes me Lord. And by the way, I would be a terrible Lord. He's going to call you at a time and do something when you don't have time. And by the way, it will cost you. You'll have to give up something that you love, that you think is great. But you'll do it. Why? Because God is calling you to do it. He brought up the opportunity because you have these active eyes. And you're willing to pay the cost. You're willing to pay whatever the money is, whatever the time is, whatever the intention is. The, by the way, the emotional cost. A lot of times you know what the cost is. You've got to sit and listen to somebody. Go, 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 go. Download their problems. Listen to their story. A lot of times it's just emotional support. And that's exhausting. I tell you, as a pastor, it can be exhausting. But this is what it means to be a good neighbor. Personally involved, personal sacrifice, willing to pay the cost, and are engaged for the long haul. And by the way, church, this is where we are so guilty. And I tell my, my own church this. I tell myself this. We love to come in on a Saturday, do a two-hour thing, give away stuff, love on people, and go, woo done. Man. So, did your work, God. Now there's whatever hundreds of hours of rest of the week I got, I got stuff to do. Never thinking about follow-up. Never thinking about, I wonder, I wonder if God stirred anybody. Never thinking about, you know what? That food was so important to that person on Saturday. I wonder if it's important to them on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. What would the Lord have me do? And by the way, I'm not saying you take care of every need, you commit to every cause that comes your way. I'm just saying that you have active eyes, you're willing to pay the cost of you, and you respond when God says, don't let this one go. Don't let this one go. You can't do this for everyone, but do it for this one. You can't be a good neighbor. You can't be, you can't be a, 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 you know, have this kind of deep personal relationship with every neighbor on your block. But this one and this one, do that. Pursue them. Be in for the long haul. And do it for the love of others. Not just, you know what, I have a strategy to convert people that requires me to get to know you. Right? And if you come to Jesus, we'll continue. If you don't, i got someone else to move on to. Let's just face it. Sometimes we do that as Christians. Unintentionally, but we do it. And we do it for the glory of God. Just as Jesus said, I do what my Father tells me. We don't do it for a social media post. By the way, if God's asking you to do something, I suggest you do not post it. Because according to what Jesus said, you just got your reward. Now there is, by the way, there is a place for posting, I do believe. I believe when a church does something, there's something about saying this is what the people of God do. We wouldn't know that Barnabas gave away all that money to his land and the church if somebody had said something to use Barnabas as an example. That's one thing. But on the other hand, many times we post it 
to let others know how spiritual we are. Well, you've just lost your reward, or the reward of all those lights is all you're going to get. We should be doing it for the glory of God. Now, I just as the worship team comes up, I just want to I just want to talk a little bit about the impact. Imagine if we actually lived this way. Imagine if we actually took our faith, believing without seeing our faith, serious. If we took the lordship of Jesus serious and joined him on his mission, then we began to sac- we began to learn about others. Not just others that are like us, but especially others that aren't like us. That have different politics, different, different uh, culture, different religion maybe. Or we just took the time to learn about people. Forget everything else, you just took the time to learn about them. What's your story? What's your faith? Why do you believe that? What has happened to you? Why do you make those decisions? Why did you move the bear? Whatever it may be. You know, that would be radical. In our, in our day and age, what do we do? We, we find people who agree with us. We join that news organization. We join that social media platform. We join whatever it is. And then we all listen to each other and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like these people. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. And then we talk about those people. How radical it is for someone to go, you know what? I want to learn about those folks. Because they're folks that, that God loves. Just the way God loved me, he didn't just reject me because I was an idiot. Why should I reject other people for that? And you may find out they're not really idiots. They're broken people just like you and I. How, how, what it would be like for those of us to serve people. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about, you know, where you open a door for someone. That, that's a good way to start. Or you kind of you spend a little time. I mean, you really serve them. We, we, we find that there's someone in our neighborhood that needs a ramp in our home, and we get a bunch of people together. We pay for the ramp. We build the ramp. We make sure it's taken care of, or, or, or we serve our neighbor who's been complaining about our tree dropping stuff in their yard. And go, you know what? I love our tree. The law says I don't have to do anything, but I'm going to serve you and take down that tree. How refreshing would that be for somebody who's, who's serving not just so they can post it, not so they can just virtue signal, but because they really do care. How radical it would be if we actually share our faith with those around us. And I'm not talking about, you know, you're going to hell if you don't do it my way kind of thing. I'm just saying, I'm just talking about sharing that joy. Like the illustration, right, Ulysses told last week about those gold miners who said nothing about where the gold was. But everybody could just tell by their demeanor something was going on. We're following those folks. Imagine people, if we were just so excited about Jesus, about where our lives are going, because it was so different than the American thing. And though we had less stuff and, and, and um, we did not have a car like everybody else, or we didn't emphasize our house like or our careers like everybody else. But there's something about those people. They seem to always have other people to, to a community that loves them. They seem to, they seem to have, they have problems like everybody else. The economy stresses them out, the other stuff stresses them out, but they seem to be able to have that, to take that somewhere that brings them hope, that brings them light. And then, and then we get to share that opportunity. And it's Jesus, it's not us. How different would things look? There's still, by the way, be persecution. It, life would still be hard. But all along the way, there would be these opportunities that would bring life, which is truly life. Because our goal should be, at the end of our life, not to go back and go, you know what? There's lots of people at my funeral, and I left something for my children. 
We need to think longer term than that. That's actually short term thinking. Our goal should be when we stand before the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings that he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you for taking your little, allowing me to do much so that the Father's mission, my mission, which is accomplished on earth the way it is in heaven. Well done. Father God, I know your word says where there's many words, there's much folly, so forgive me, dear Lord, if I just fill space with my words and my ideas. And God, where your word is, dear Lord, I know it will not return void, and so I pray that it finds good places What you would have for each of us, the challenge that you would make for us, dear God, would stir in folks. Forgive us, dear God, for being tempted just to, to evaluate the message, whether it was good or bad, evaluate it based on our emotions, and then move on with life. Leave the good Samaritan. Leave our world bleeding and want, because it's inconvenient. And it's hard, and we don't like them. Forgive us. Would you do a work in us, Lord, so that we'll get up out of our chairs, we'll get out of our cars, we'll leave our yards, and to go out to our neighbors, and go out to our coworkers, and go out to those that were in school, dear Father, that we may reflect your life. And because we follow you, dear Lord, and because we're being transformed by you. Lord, we will join you on your mission and they will see Jesus. May the world say about us what they said about the disciples. They didn't agree with him, but they took note that they had been with Jesus. May the world take note that we have been with Jesus, who is the Christ, who is the Lord, who is our Savior, who is the one who loves us so much that he laid his very life down for us that may give us the ability to do what we cannot do ourselves, dear God, which is love people that are our enemies, which is to care for folks who don't care about us, which is to reach out when all we want to do is take care of what's within. Will you do that work in us and through us? In the name and the power of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen.
challenge you this morning. If we can take a moment. I want to challenge you to come and say, Lord, I want to, I want to give you my schedule. I want to give you my schedule. Lord, forgive me if I've packed it with things and I have not left room for you. Room for relationship. Room to love my neighbor. Room to stop for others in need. Room to really sit down and listen to somebody and their struggles and their pain. Lord, I want to I want to, as an act of worship this morning, I want to lay my schedule before you. And I want to invite you to come and to fill it. I want to invite you to come and to more fully invade my schedule, Lord. And I want to be available to you. Can we, can we do that for just a couple of minutes right now? Can we bring our hearts before God? And, and would you do that as an act of sacrifice, as an offering to him, God, Lord, come direct and guide. I, I lay it down before you, God. I want to be filled with the, uh, and be, as Paul said, abounding in the works of God. Let's bring our hearts before the Lord right now for a couple of minutes.